Welcome to the 88th episode of the Overclock Podcast. Overclock ZA, all the vowels. I'm Lindsay Shooters. And I'm Gavin Dudley. And Gavin, I have just flown in from the Microsoft Surf, Microsoft South Africa Surface <laughs> event. And boy, <laughs> are my arms tired. <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft Surface. I mean, it's important because it's been one of those brands that if you follow international trends, you know Microsoft have done exceptionally well with their Surface line, and they just never came to South Africa. And now we know they're coming. What did they tell you? And just a week after I put out a YouTube video proclaiming like a really good solid option in for a two-in-one, Microsoft brings the Surface Pro 7 uh. starting at 18,000 Rand, but not including the type cover, which is the keyboard thing. So it does include the pen and the stand is obviously part of the whole design. So it's a tablet, Microsoft tablet. I think that is the Core i3 10th gen with four gigs of RAM starting at that price. Still very, very but good how price. How can that make yep. sense? How can that make sense? It's a Core i3 tablet with no keyboard for 18,000 Rand. It's an i3 tablet for 18,000 Rand. I mean, it's a, it's a how Surface can that make sense? Pro 7, Gavin. It's uh, the best uh, two in one in the game from the people who, you know, I'm a big believer in the two in one. Will it be better than an iPad Pro? It's, how can I it be a two-in-one? So. If it doesn't have a keyboard, okay, it's not a two-in-one. It's a tablet. You can okay, buy the key- keyboard. You can get the aftermarket. Yeah, but you can, but you can buy that for any tablet. I mean, how can it be a two-in-one if it doesn't have a keyboard? So Ugh, fully okay, powered, fully considered Microsoft right. ecosystem. It's 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 basically their thesis of what the future of computing is supposed to be. Okay. Um, then also alongside that, the Surface Laptop 3s are launching. That comes in 13.5 and 15-inch flavors. The 15-inch flavors uh, are packing AMD Ryzen 5s mm. and Radeon um, Vega 9 Microsoft Surface Edition um, graphics. Or you can spend up for the Ryzen 7 and the, the Vega 11 Microsoft Surface Edition graphics as well. And that okay. is starting on the um, only Intel's for the 13.5 um, machine. And that starts at 23,000 Rand. Okay, I'm, I'm interested in that because I really like AMD as a power plant for devices. <laughs> They're much more power efficient in my, in my um, version. And I really enjoy anybody who's undermining Intel at this stage because Intel, I believe, has held the market <laughs> back in innovation by being this huge Goliath giant in the industry. It's actually held the industry back because they had such a virtual monopoly. And now both NVIDIA and AMD, both companies that started off as minnows and much smaller than Intel, are both surpassing them. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. I, I see, um, just to skip ahead a little bit, um, just going back to Surface News, oddly, um, the Surface Go 2 wasn't launched, um, which I thought would have been a slam dunk for them to make a move. What is a Surface education. Go? What so is a Surface, Surface Go? A Surface Go is a 12, is a small, it's 11-inch Surface tablet, so it's a two-in-one, um, but it has lesser power, so it comes, they run on the Pentium Gold processor, I think the Surface Go 2 is, um, and they like, they awesome for like low-end computing sort of stuff. I think uh, it feels like it would have probably come into the market sub 10 grand, and that would have been a slam dunk um, for our price sensitive market. Yeah. I don't yeah. understand why that didn't come. But just jumping a little bit ahead, um, you mentioned NVIDIA. NVIDIA hmm. just surpassed Intel as the biggest chip maker with the bigger market cap. That is something yeah, interesting. I mean, that's outrageous. So NVIDIA obviously made their name 
um, in video graphics, and they yes. really have pushed the envelope there to to use a well-worn cliche. But they really have, you know, year after year, pushed the boundaries up to the place where their current RTX range is. You know, it's got ray tracing, light tracing, and light effects yeah. in graphics that are just impossible to have imagined a few, even a few years ago. Of course, NVIDIA got its biggest boost from all those um, uh, cryptocurrency mining farms that were mm. set up because it was discovered that the processing power on the NVIDIA graphics cards was so huge, you could actually use them for data-intensive tasks like cryptocurrency mining. So NVIDIA sold... I mean, there was a point at which you couldn't even get gaming graphics cards because they were all being scooped up by these data mining farms, by yeah. these crypto mining farms. But um, NVIDIA just built such a solid reputation in gaming and then slowly diversified what it was offering in its chips. It, it started offering gaming devices and many other things like the NVIDIA Shield. You know, it's like a, yeah. a like portable gaming device and so on. And it doesn't surprise me at all that they've surpassed Intel I mean, this is now just the, the market valuation of the company. Yeah. Um, and I think Intel has repeatedly disappointed the market from being, you know, the, the market leader and the champion of microelectronics for like 20, 30 years. Suddenly, they just could not compete with Qualcomm, who owned the cell phone market, the cell phone chip market, and various other risk arm uh, chips that came to market and then apple's chips surpassed them too until eventually intel was like in fourth place you know in in processor development they couldn't get their process down to seven nanometer and so on and so on like everybody around them did and you were wondering what the hell are they doing with all the money if they've got the smartest people the most money and they just can't compete what are they doing you know so yeah but, so uh, nvidia, nvidia is very valuable um or at least their valuation is really keeping up because of all the work they're doing with the powering autonomous vehicles and a lot of things yep, that they're doing yep. with like other ai applications and hardware acceleration like they're just using what they learned in making like really really tiny circuits <laughs> yep, um for, yep. for graphics and they're just extrapolating that out to like near quantum level computing like and that's just it's gold for 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 the ai processing that we need right now how about this for an idea an nvidia phone it can't be far off you know we already have asus and acer and others making hardcore gaming phones what about an nvidia phone you know where graphics is heavily optimized for gaming especially if we end up with these you know server-side gaming streaming services and video mm. would make a perfect client-end device for that. I know okay. AMD so, are getting into bed with Samsung. I would not be surprised if mm. the Note 20, which is launching on the 5th of August, does bring with it that AMD co-developed co um, new graphics cards. Oh, well, at cool. Least gra graphics, GPUs, sorry. Right. <laughs> so like graphics was, cards on a phone. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, gaming graphics for phones, I think are going to become a thing. You know, I think they're going to become a thing mainly because there's so much processing power in the phone now. And because it's becoming easier and easier to dock the phone with a TV, with an external screen. If we end yeah. up with, you know, game streaming capability, then the capabilities of the phone are going to matter quite a bit more. Um, just want to recap for those who missed when we segued into the segment. Um, the market cap for NVIDIA is now $258 billion. The market cap for Intel is $246 billion. So, you know, we're counting in billions of dollars, obviously, which is no trivial thing. But you've got to understand, Intel dominated this market for mm. 30, longer than 30 years, dominated this market. They, they owned everything there was. 
you know, in, in chip making, to see them get surpassed by three or four companies, not just in innovation, but now also in market cap is jolly disturbing. So talk, yeah. Talking about market cap, so Netflix first passed Disney for market cap um, was $188 billion to Disney's 186 back in April. Really? And then really? they just never slowed down since then. So ahead of the Q2 earnings call, um, they've just surged past the $200 billion um, cap now. And it's it's just like crazy. I think they're trading above $500 a share, you know? Yo, yo. <laughs> I mean, you know, I wonder when the Netflix growth is going to slow down. I thought maybe they're going to overreach the quality of the, sh- the shows they're making. It's going to take a dive. You know, they're going to fail to have any big hits. But every time I think that, they come back with something new and something clever, and they, they've totally got me hooked, man. I've got a queue of stuff on Netflix waiting to be watched. The most I'm, recent I'm is... I'm with you there. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still anti... Uh, like, I've, I've figured out now what their, their marketing actually is, where everyone is like, oh, the algorithm's so good. No, it's not. They just uh-huh. try and serve <laughs> you all the trash that they upload, or like everything that's trending. It's like, Lindsay, you might enjoy this. No, I won't. This. I yeah, have no okay. interest in whatever you are doing. Like the emails. Yeah. The, oh, dude, that's scary. Yeah, they, irritating at this point. Yeah, but they figured out that I want to watch shows from the 90s. So they keep, you know, where they, where they get this, all this old back catalog stuff, like, you know, Star Trek Next Generation and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And they tell me, oh, here's some stuff you might want to watch that you've already watched, you know, 20 years ago. And yeah. they, so there's that on the one hand. Then I watched the new Charlize uh, Theron movie. Theron. Yeah, <laughs> we should call her Theron. Theron. Or whatever we call them in South Africa, Charlize. She wasn't especially good in that, but the movie was super hectic, frenetic, major fight sequences. Uh, and it was kind of really just like built like for a sequel. But, uh, yeah. but I mean, it just, they got money to throw at these things. They had so, me delighted to be watching this. So, you know, they're doing something right. So they, they added 15 million subscribers in Q1 of 2020 which is incredible. And like the big downfall for Disney is even though they've launched Disney Plus, like there have been no big Hollywood movies clearly because no one could go yeah, to the movies. Yeah. So yeah. that that kind of brings down their just their shine a little bit. It just takes a little bit of that that sheen right. off of them. The investors right. are not so like big into it because they they they're not pushing out Marvel movies. They're not yeah, they're yeah. doing none of those Talking about yeah. awesome content, the new Tom Hanks movie on Apple TV Plus is so good. Tom Hanks movie on, on Apple, Apple TV, TV Plus. Plus. Okay, right. So I heard good. about this. What is this about again? Tell us just in brief because we're getting into the weeds of it. In brief, yeah, what is it World about? Two stuff and it's just yeah. hyper focused on like naval battles. And it's just like it's an hour and a half of just intense Tom Hanks. Blowing it out the park. It's just it's just brilliant. And like I, right. I, think, okay. I think Apple TV Plus are finally finding their 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 stride in terms of content delivery. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have to concede that ground. I concede that ground, actually. Yeah. I mean, they started off with like five shows, you know, and then it, a week later it was 10 shows, and a week later it was 12 shows. Then it was, oh well, half of this is crap. But then in amongst the 20 odd things that eventually made it into the bouquet, you find two or three gems that are really working for you. And that's what they set out to do. And I think they're probably achieving that. I wonder how the Oprah book thing is going. I wonder. I don't know. I don't watch that. We don't watch that. Yeah. Just briefly dipping into Apple territory. Um, I've been playing with the iOS 14 public beta. Mm -hmm. I haven't put it on my iPad, though. Um, I think with iPad, why iPad didn't get enough love. iPad OS didn't get a lot of love with with a 14 update. Um, I think I'm 
90% convinced that the next big change for the iPad is going to be a proper desktop mode. I'm, I'm, I might be living in a fantasy land, Gavin, because this is me just okay. projecting. What okay, sure. But I think sure. it's moving that way, especially with the big um, ARM announcements that they've made. Uh, but yeah, so widgets are okay. Uh, it's great to have to see that like all tech reviewers everywhere who are using widgets have like a big weather widget on the first homepage <laughs> and on the second homepage is a big calendar widget like just the other uh, pixel. Uh, <laughs> it's not that exact setup. That was the first thing. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, the app draw is good. It's very good. Um, you can like just shove everything there. You can kill home screens entirely and it all oh. goes into that app drawer and you just swipe across and all your apps are there. It does surface them like weirdly. It droops them like very, very strangely. But yeah, that's meh. Uh, for me, big, massive improvement, although on my on my original SE, it doesn't have the compact UI for Siri, so it still gives like the full screen one. But mm -hmm. Siri improves massively. Like, like mm. it's so good now. Uh, it's still really? not as complete as like a knowledge finder as like Google Assistant would be. Okay. But just for like doing on-device tasks, like finding out what song is playing on the radio, those sorts of things, it's really, really improved. Yeah, um, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if after all the sort of uh, rough treatment that Apple's got about series shortcomings and the Apple Maps shortcomings, whether yeah. they continue to pour resources into that, hoping that they're going to turn a corner and it's going to suddenly be world class. I mean, maybe they really do are really backing themselves. There's no shortage of money, obviously. Yeah. But you know, yeah, you know, maybe they can just keep pouring money in, and those guys keep grinding until it comes right. Who knows? So that then makes me quietly op optimistic for for a company like Huawei, who <laughs> are now <laughs> be kicked out of the UK's 5G network. Okay, so stop chuckling like that. This remember for me, this is not a tech story. This for me. Yeah. It's a story about global development, a social development, all sorts of things. Conventions of the Geneva Convention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, this is a social issue. Okay, I mean, okay, so let me just recap what's going on. Okay, first the U.S. wouldn't let Huawei's devices get sold. Then they clamped down on this thing of Huawei. Then they wouldn't let Huawei's use American-made softwares like Google's yeah. apps, for example. Then the most recent, which was in May this year, they prevented Huawei from using any uh, any technologies at all developed by America, specifically hardware. So no yeah. chip designs and so on. So Huawei had to design its own chips. And, and that's pretty much as far as they could push this thing. They think they've now really got Huawei pinned down. You've got to wonder what was motivating them. What I'm trying to draw Lindsay out on is what does he think the agenda is? Is it to to thwart China's global advance in, you know, in a key field like technology? Is it that they genuinely think there's potential spying going on? Is it that they don't want to be fundamentally dependent on the Chinese technology to run their economies? What is it that's motivating them? With Trump, they've, you know, Trump probably thinks that he's doing, I don't know, some kind of fundamental good for America or for himself. But there is actually a much bigger issue at play, which he's probably even oblivious to. I'm trying to figure out how, why they managed to convince the UK to pull Huawei out of their network. So for those who are not following the news, the announcement is that the UK had, had decided they would allow Huawei to continue 
in a limited way to run its mobile network in or to be you know the components on which its mm. mobile network is built in the UK. And the latest is like a 180 degree about turn. They've mandated no more purchasing of any Huawei equipment and pulling Huawei slowly out of its cellular networks over the next five to seven years. So while we will actually be removed entirely from its network. Now I have to just read um, this quote from the Chinese foreign trade minister, Victor Gao. Okay, listen carefully. This is exists more or less sums up how I see it. He says, does the UK really think they can manhandle a Chinese company, a leader in 5G in the whole world without any consequences? Wake up. And that's true. I mean, there's, there's speculation that this moves economies like the US and the UK into what they call the digital slow lane. Mm. You know, it means their technology won't be as good. Adoption will take longer. The rollout will take longer. You know, whereas Huawei is ready to go with the best in best in class technology today at the right price. And now they're rejecting it for political reasons. It's very hard to figure out what's going on there. So mm. what I'm most interested in in the story um, was was the quote, I forget who it was, but someone in the Chinese government said that they will be painful. <laughs> Pain, what? Now I lost the word. I lost the second word. Painful but, consequences or yes, rebuttals. Like or, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah a painful response and i'm like what is uh, the pain? how are okay. they gonna help the uk so my read is uk are just siding on on, on trump's side um because trump is kind of the only biggest um trading partner right now because the eu is not really oh right you're right that's i never i never read that into it you're right they they're very exposed on the trade front they really yeah. need us to play nice with them so they're conceding this and of course, for Trump, this is entirely about his ego. That's all it's about. I mean, Trump immediately took full credit for the UK's decision. I mean, he literally yeah. came out and said, <laughs> I told them to do this and now they've done it and they've made the right decision because I told them to. You know, that's more or less what he said. Um, so, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still convinced that there is a legitimate concern about um, what, what China's doing, listening in, like Beijing is maybe listening in. Okay, I, was, I was trying to draw this out of you earlier and you refused to commit to your suspicions <laughs> around Chinese spying. Now you're coming out with it. Now I haven't prepared my rebuttal. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, so what you're saying is that it's not inconceivable that China is planning an espionage kind yes. of type move or some kind of industrial level hack or cyber warfare that involves having their technology deployed in all these countries. Yeah, you're saying it's not inconceivable that might be the case. Mm. Uh, wow, I almost said a massive slur. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually just apologizing for thinking about it. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time on the show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like like you know that the US have been running that sort of game for a long time. Snowden came out with a lot of stuff that they're, that is very yeah. true. The UK as well, spying on people, spying on everybody. Um, I yeah. I really do think that their fear is magnified by the fact that they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, um, doing yeah. those sorts of things and knowing like how deep. China's hooks would be in their communication. Yeah, yeah. They know um, what's possible. Yeah. 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 And and I I'm also not a big fan of of the technology that China's trying to to push. It's always going to be cut price. I don't believe that Huawei are by far the market leader in terms of technology, like bleeding edge technology. Um I still think that they they doing they're cutting too many corners. 
Um, I've I've been hearing from my friends in the in the game that some of the network infrastructure that is rolling out now to enable 5G, the things components are failing, um, and then like there's resupply issues obviously now because of COVID. It's um, mm. like legitimate like those sorts of standard dealing with a Chinese company that cut too many corners problems happening in the market. I do, I disagree with you, man. This stuff has already been deployed in a whole lot of markets where it's holding up just fine. If this was a widespread problem, it would be making the tech news headlines by now. You know. Also, I mean, the Chinese in-house 5G expansion plans are phenomenal. I mean, the way yeah. they're rolling out 5G inside China, and that's largely on the back of Huawei technology. So even if they just use that as a proving ground to, you know, to test their stuff and make it roadworthy, you know, I think that I think they are industry leading by a substantial margin. Whether that will matter or not, it's like VHS versus Betamax. It's quite possible VHS will still win and Ericsson or Nokia or somebody yeah. else with 5G technology will end up running the show. But it won't be because they had better technology, I don't think. Uh. Yeah, Ugh, I don't know. It's Currently, it's an arms race. Um, it's becoming like a colonial sort of thing right now. And the UK and the US don't want to fall behind to China. So they're just going to aggressively price them or at least not price them out of the market, like just squeeze them out of the market and give other guys a bit of a leg up. Like that, that, okay. that's my situation. Moving right. along. Mm. Yeah, so I'm quietly optimistic that um, Huawei will be able to greatly improve their offerings, like their own AI assistant thing and their app gallery to far and beyond meet the requirements of like the modern mobile consumer, mobile accomplisher. As yeah, yeah, yeah. You was like to say, um, I'm still waiting for my for my P40 so I can put it to the test. But yeah, moving <laughs> over to to like switching to the iPhone again to try and just live in that life, get to grips with iOS 14's little nuances has then showed me that maybe I I, I put too much value on like having access to Google services. Um, yeah, I'm I'm quietly optimistic that yeah. the experience will be quite good for me. Um, yeah, yeah, and I agree. Yeah, the the company that's really letting me down lately is actually LG. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, we've given them so much love on the show; it's probably time for a bit of reckoning. Yeah, okay. So, what part, what bit of LG is bothering you now? Um, so my G8X, thank you, video finally goes up on Friday. I'm a bit annoyed. Mm. That Android 10 still isn't out. I was waiting for that update, um, mm. but it hasn't our shows yet. And then the Velvet came out. Like V60, I'm still excited for. Um, I know you are playing around with one, Gavin, or not playing yeah. around with one. You have one <laughs> in your I'm sometimes your playing around with it. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm, I'm quite excited to play around with that. But yes, is that, that, that dual screen attachment mm. just is not jamming. It's too buggy, too... Yeah, it's just, too big. Yeah, a nightmare. Um, like it's nice to use as a stand. <laughs> for okay. The <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, yeah. I, I think LG's just kind of lost its way. And and the the, the Velvet launch in South Africa was really also a, a bit of a letdown Ooh. in terms of. A, a yeah, that was terrible. That he made. Let's not even refer to it in case our case our listeners go and check it up and see how dreadful it really was. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Avoid. 
Yeah. Okay, so Velvet that we keep referring to is LG's version of a mid-range 5G phone, which is going to be about yeah. 15,000 Rand, which is not what you'd ordinarily consider a mid-range price. You know, yeah. to me, mid-range is five, six, seven grand. But, but for 5G, that's, that's, that's kind of what you pay. We'll see, we'll see how much um, Samsung's going to price its A51 5G devices whenever their 5G devices get here. Um, yeah. I think there's some issues that they're having with the network operators trying to get deals. I think they're coming in a little bit yeah. too high on those yeah. pricing. Yeah. yeah, I must say the currency is also really hurting all our imported products. When I look at what things cost, man, there's just this kind of 20%, 30% surcharge being added on to what I remember things costing. Handsets, laptops, all forms of tech. It suddenly appears to me to be good 20% more than I remember it costing, which I think can only be our currency really suffering. You know? mm. And yeah. then in wearable news, Gavin Garman has put out solar charging capabilities on some of their outdoor watches. So Phoenix, the Phoenix, which is like the high-end outdoor watch, and then the like surfing one. I forget the product names. But yeah, those yeah. are all coming now with, in, with solar charging, which is great. So it means that you can go a little bit longer um, on your run. Now, hang on. Run. If I remember correctly, I mean, they pioneered a technology where the solar panel actually lies under the face of the phone. Is that right? So there's a, a, fa a, a face of the phone, face of the watch. There's a face of the watch that you look at when you're looking at the watch, but below that is a photovoltaic cell, which still absorbs light through the surface. Is that is that correct or am I wrong? So Have they these, got actual little these, cells? These PV cells are actually laying, they're transparent and they're laying on the glass. Oh, you mean under the glass? Though, yeah, obviously. just under the yeah. glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're looking through the photovoltaic cell to see the face of yeah. the watch. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, maybe so, I misunderstood what they were describing. Maybe this is what they've always had. Okay. Very cool. Casio's uh -huh. kind of been playing this game for a long time with their yeah, tough solar yeah. stuff on the G-Shocks. Um, but there was then a, I think those photovoltaics were like the watch face. Um, obviously, those were in digital displays, or at least some of them were. But yeah, you, could, you get what I'm saying. There's enough room for them to like fit the, the PVs on there. So yeah, like I, I, I did that sort of innovation. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm imagining that even if this uh, cell, photovoltaic cell on the Garmin watch is really tiny and is not fully optimized and whatever, the fact that it's constantly in sunlight means there's a constant trickle charge, which means that the watch may never run down. Is, that, is, is, is it possible that it will be so good that it will never need to be recharged at an outlet? Uh, so what, what Garmin does is um, they do the rooftop tests. So they just kind of leave their watches on the roof of their headquarters. Um, okay. And the engineers came back like uh, they forgot about the watches actually. <laughs> and they came okay. back like a month later and the things are still running. Still running. Yeah, you see, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if you're just wearing this watch in the course of your working day, it's constantly exposed to some or other form of sunlight, you know, all yeah. the time. So there's constant trickle charge going on. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, you know. Um, but I reckon they can probably optimize the watch's functions so that it can get away with never having to be recharged. Yeah. I reckon they could. Even if it doesn't launch that way, I reckon that's, you know, within this year we might see something like that, I reckon. Mm. That would be pretty cool, eh? Yeah. I don't think it'll hold up that well with like the, the power draw of GPS. But talking about the power oh, of the right. sun GPS. and the uh -huh. power of renewables, 
We are currently uh-huh. obviously facing load shedding. And there was some interesting no. commentary on Daily Maverick where they did a nice little look back, like uh, timeline from 2007 all the way to now, um, all the bungles that have been made on the ESCOM side and all that. But then I did some just rudimentary back of the fucking napkin calculations on my side. And I was like, mm. we've been battered by a couple of cold fronts right across the country um, yeah, oh yeah. over the last Big couple time. of weeks. And it coincided yep. nicely with, with when the, the load shedding started. And then I was like, so we're missing yeah. about 2,050 uh, megawatts from the, or at least we over, we over the demand exceeds by about 2,000. Yeah. So like there was a couple of power plants that tripped and all that stuff. But if you tally up all of ESCOM's um, wind farm projects and then all the IPPs um, who are using renewables, wind and solar, um, they come out to like about 1,900 megawatts. And how much electricity have they been generating over the last couple of weeks while the storms were blowing in? Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Very little. <laughs> okay, this is why you and I keep coming back to one of the few things. One of the few things we agree on is that nuclear power might still be the way to go, right? It is. We need a place. lot of power. We need it reliably and we need it fast, right? And yeah. I mean, we we one of the few things we agree on. We argue a little bit about whether Pebble Bed is the way to go, since we own the intellectual property. Yeah, this is the yeah. best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. We more or less agree on that too. And we're just a little confused about whether we own all the intellectual property to some to sort of do that all by ourselves, or whether we still have to outsource to you know Itachi and the Russians and the Japanese and the right. Czechoslovakians, or whether we can do it ourselves. That would be jolly good, I reckon. Now we I wonder why that's not progressing. Um, um, but on that subject, I heard asked on the radio today, they asked ESCOM spokespeople, what did you do during the lockdown when you had ample opportunity to fix all your stuff that was wrong? You had a couple of months to go and fix it, you know, when demand was super low. What did you do? And they said they did actually do a lot of important work in that time. And they say they actually returned 3,000 megawatts to the network that, that had been lost through inefficiencies and breakdowns and things, yeah. which is interesting. So I guess what we're saying is that load shedding could be much worse if they hadn't done that. But yeah. I mean, it's still unacceptable that we're in this situation. But OK, that's a whole other topic. No, okay. It segues nicely into our how-to because yes. I've, because of like the power surges and the load shedding and all that, I've lost a total of two Wi-Fi routers uh-huh. already uh-huh. and ASUS um, very, very nice, one of those Black Diamond ones, and then a Netus gaming router as well, which did show signs of life a couple of weeks ago, but I will not risk testing it now. But you have an awesome how-to tip. You blew my mind with this. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, look, it's not often Lindsay and I get schooled with something that we've never seen before. But I want to give credit to a good friend of mine called Zach Wright. He discovered this video and he asked me about it. And I was like, I don't think this will work. And then I watched the video and it does work. Okay, here's what happens. Your router turns out, even though it's plugged into the wall, the, the, the power pack that you plug into the wall actually steps the voltage of your router down from 240 volts that's coming out the wall to like five volts that's actually going into the router itself. So the router actually runs on very, very little voltage. Turns out, you can actually plug a power bank straight into your router. The power bank that you use to recharge your phone, you can plug that straight into the router. That will power the router. And if you're using ADSL, the ADSL line stays active even through the power outages because uh, the whole telephone grid runs on its own electricity, uh, own electrical power supply. So your ADSL can actually stay up and your Wi-Fi will stay up 
through a power outage if you get a power bank and plug it into your router. Isn't that clever, right? Okay, so the one catch is that the power bank outputs USB, obviously. You know, there's a USB. You normally plug the USB cable into the phone and into the power bank, right? So now you need a cable that's got USB on one end and it's got the right size jack to plug into the Wi-Fi router on the other end. That normally means you have to cannibalize a cable. You have to find a cable that's got the right size plug that goes into the router and you have to cut off a USB cable and join those two together. So you've got a cable that connects the power bank with the router. I did this. Um, My experiments were unsuccessful because I didn't check my plug sizes carefully to start with. So I ended up chopping a whole lot of cables that were then incompatible. But I've seen it done. It does work. You could power your router with a power bank. Do try this. However, if you're on fiber, as I am, as many other people are, the fiber connection, the little fiber box inside your house also requires electricity. So the best plan is to get a power bank that's got two USBs out, one to power the router and one to power the fiber. I'm in the middle of preparing cables to pull this whole trick off. I'll let you know how it goes next week. Okay, good luck with that. So I'm on LTE, and um, the other day I had a... uh recording for another podcast that I do and we were scheduled to have load shedding and then it was like 10 minutes past load shedding time and I was like hmm maybe I can still do it at the scheduled time uh-huh. and then five minutes later the power went off and then I just took the sim card and put it into a phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean you've probably noticed maybe maybe now that you're on rain it's not as big a deal but I'm sure everybody else is noticing that as long as these power outages continue, the cellular masts stay up for shorter and shorter amounts of time yeah. because their yeah. batteries run down, they run out of diesel for their generators and so on. And there isn't enough daylight or whatever they use to recharge those batteries. So, you know, the first time we started losing power, the cell tower would stay up for two or three hours. Now it stays up for like 10, 15 minutes and then the yeah. cellular signal starts degrading. So I'd be interested to hear how your your rain signal uh, operates through this time hmm. yeah and that brings us neatly to our take a lot tech treasure and mine right. is a wonderful set of two load shedding led 7 watt rechargeable bulb b22 bayonet twin value pack so these are okay, little this was, this was super cool when you described it to me man this so is so cool i LEDs, so really want this LED- LED light bulbs, they just look like normal LED light bulbs, bayonet. So you put them in like your lamp fitting. My wife has one in, in on her bedside lamp. We just bought it as a fluke. We didn't even know it was one of these. And it just has like a little battery inside it. So when it's on, it like just charges. So you, you, you don't have to switch anything on. It's just if it is on while the power is goes off, it just stays on. And these right. last for about four hours of battery backup light. Um, and then they just work on the normal switch for the lamp. So you can switch it on and you can switch it off. I, and that I'm obviously still... recharges its battery. When when the, when you've got power, its battery recharges again. Yeah. 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 Okay. I don't know yeah. how, because it even works if the power is off and you put the lamp on. So I have no idea <laughs> what okay. is going on. Here. That's so cool. So it's got a <laughs> failover system. When your mains power drops it kind of knows that it's lost charge and it fails yeah. over and the light bulb turns itself on. How cool is that, man? Very cool. And the price there again, you say? Uh, 248 Rand. It's 30% off right now. I don't know for how long. 
But yeah, go get it and take a lot. Did you say it was a set of two for 248 Rand? Yes. And it's right, 228 so, Rand if you use the Take a Lot app. Right. And that's for two of these bulbs. So you can put yes. one in the lounge, one in the bathroom, one in the bedroom, whatever you, your plan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very cool. Nice touch. Um, I don't have anything as cool as that. The best I could do was a pair of Sennheiser headphones. I'm the biggest fan, Sennheiser fanboy. It just has the right kind of sound quality for me, Sennheiser. It's a European sound. It's German. It's not unexciting, but it always in control, never loses its mind. Sennheiser renowned for its sign sound signature. And um, these Bluetooth headphones are the HD 350BTs. So these are comfortable over-ear headphones. It's towards the bottom of the Sennheiser range at 1,500 Rand. But I promise you, once you've heard a pair of Sennheisers, it becomes very hard to listen to any other kinds of headphones because the sound quality, it's all about the sound quality. So these are the Sennheiser HD 350BT wireless over-ear headphones. Super comfortable, great quality, and not too expensive at 1,500 Rand. That's the best I can give you at this time. Awesome. Gavin, as I said, G8X Think Q video going up on Friday right. on that opinion guy. That opinion guy on the YouTube. I am Lindsay Shooters, Sharpshooters on social media, S H A R P S C H U T T E R S. And that opinion guy.co.za is the website. And I will catch you next week, Gavin. All right. I am working on a story which we've covered so many times on the show um, about Huawei's new phone platform and what's what it's going to become in the future if it doesn't have access to Google services. And I mean, I've done this several times, but I think this could be a very big, important moment for the cellular industry. Um, I've looked at my top 10 apps, how I fared trying to get those set up on the new Huawei phones. Okay. Um, other than that, I've got some fabulous laptops I'm busy looking at. I'm busy looking at the Lenovo C340, a laptop that Lindsay himself did a great review of, which is what inspired me to get it and play with it. And that's been fabulous so far. But more than that, the Dell Inspiron 14-inch 5000 model is absolutely mind-blowing. So I can't say enough good things about it, but I'll give you more detail next week. Okay. Yeah, those 5000s are great. Oh, cool, feels Gavin. fantastic. Yeah. And people All can good. check you out on techradar.com. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, just and .com. It'll take you to the South African site. Yeah. And then Tech Magazine is your magazine, the largest consumer tech magazine on sale in South Africa. Still, even through a lockdown. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, Gavin. <laughs> Cheers, man. See you next week.